Welcome to Good Girls Talk About Sex. I am sex and intimacy coach Leah Carey, and this is a place to share conversations with all sorts of women about their experience of sexuality. These are unfiltered conversations between adult women talking about sex. If anything about the previous sentence offends you, turn back now. And if you're looking for a trigger warning, you're not going to get it from me. I believe that you are stronger than the trauma you have experienced. I have faith in your ability to deal with things that upset you. Sound good? Let's start the show. Hey friends, I am so excited about today's interview because we dive into some territory that we haven't talked about yet on this podcast. And I'm going to do something that I almost never do, offer you some content notes. And because I make a statement at the beginning of every episode that I don't do trigger warnings, I want to talk for a minute about why, why I don't usually do them. And why in this episode, I actually think it's appropriate to offer some cautions. Let's start with the numerous reasons that I don't usually do them. When talking about sex, it would be impossible to know what topics or words or thoughts are going to be triggering to all of my various listeners. Everyone's wounds around sex are so varied that I could spend five minutes at the top of every episode parsing out all of the many ways someone might be triggered or offended and still not get everything. So in terms of logistics, it just doesn't make sense. My feeling is that if you're choosing to listen to a show about sex, At some point, you're probably going to hear something that makes you uncomfortable. If that's a type of discomfort that you can't tolerate, this probably isn't the right show for you to be listening to. Second, I'm not convinced that trigger warnings actually do much good. One of my goals in life is to encourage conversations and communication in places where it isn't currently happening. Trigger warnings tend to shut conversations down rather than opening them up. The goal of trigger warnings as they originally came into use was to help people prepare themselves emotionally before encountering difficult material. But research is beginning to show that trigger warnings are actually increasing anxiety rather than decreasing it. In fact, The clinical consensus is that avoiding triggers actually worsens PTSD. My belief is that trigger warnings reinforce the idea that people are victims of their experience, that if something difficult has happened to you, you are forevermore at the mercy of that difficult thing. It becomes such a specter in your mind that you will forever be running away from any thought of it, lest it undoes you. I think you're stronger than that. I don't want to live in fear of my own brain. 
And I don't want you to either. I don't get to make that choice for you, of course, but I can offer you this space where we're not afraid of what goes on in our brains, where we look at it with empathy and grace. A friend recently made the distinction between a safe space and a brave space. This podcast is a brave space where we talk about hard things and get into the nitty gritty. Okay, so that was a long explanation of why I don't do trigger warnings. So why am I choosing to offer a content note on this episode? Because there is one set of behaviors that can be triggered simply by hearing someone else talk about them. Self-harm. People who have an unresolved history of self-harm can be at risk when others talk about it. For that reason, I want you to know that about halfway through this episode, there is some talk about knife play. I'll break into the conversation at that point and suggest that if this is a potential trigger for you, you should fast forward approximately two minutes. Second, we have an extended conversation at the end of this episode on a topic that is far enough outside the box that I want you to have the opportunity to opt in or opt out without being surprised. Specifically, we talk about the parent-child role-playing Rachel and her partner sometimes do during sex. If you have a history of sexual abuse by a parent or family member, you're likely to find this either deeply fascinating or deeply horrifying. Please honor your needs to listen or not listen to this as you see fit. I will also break in to offer you a warning when that conversation is about to start. Okay, that is enough talk of triggers. Let's get into the meat and potatoes of the episode. Today, we're talking with Rachel, a 38-year-old cisgender female who describes herself as white, pansexual, monogamish, and partnered. She describes her body as very curvy, but also says that if she's with people who are part of the movement to remove body shame, she calls herself fat. I am so pleased to introduce Rachel. Rachel, thank you so much for being with me today. Um, So that listeners have a perspective through which to hear this interview, you and I are really good friends. Um, So we talk about sex a lot. (laughs) But I think there are a lot of parts of your story that I've never heard. And uh, you are using a pseudonym so that you can be completely honest and no one will go find you through my Facebook (laughs) profile. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you for being here. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So the first question that I ask everyone is, what is your first memory of sexual pleasure? I think the first memory I can remember... I mean, other than dreams that were kind of sexual or like waking up, like after a dream that was kind of sexual, like someone just takes off my clothes. That was, that was at a young age, but. Um, How old were, what, what is young to you? Well, grade school, mm-hmm. probably after seven, I guess until my Dreams or fantasies would get more specific around 12. 
So somewhere between seven and 12 and around age 11 is my first actual memory. I was having a sleepover at my house and I had friends there and I, everyone was asleep and I started touching myself and I don't know what drove me to that, but, um, I tried to do that as quietly as possible with everyone asleep. And that's, that's also my first memory of an orgasm, which I had no idea what that was yet. That's so interesting that you would do that with other people in the room for the first time. Yeah. And I, I kind of got into the idea of trying to sneak that while other people were in the room for quite a while Mm. after that. So maybe that kind of defined a kink. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, does secrecy do something for you today still? Um, yeah, I'd say that trying to get away with something, um, certainly is part of it. That's certainly part of fantasy play. My partner that I live with was also like my first boyfriend. So he and I used to, or like ages 12 to 14, when we were on and off again, you know, we used to sneak around, we used to do things in secret. And so that can come up now. Mm-hmm. As part of play. sort of in your, yeah, in your like dirty talk or mm-hmm. sort of sharing fantasies with each other. That's something yes. you'll talk about. Yeah. 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 So you're at this sleepover with some girls, I assume they were all mm-hmm. other girls. It was not a co-ed thing. Um, and you have this experience. Do you remember anything about like, the next morning people waking up and being like, Ooh, I have a secret or like, what do you remember about it? I have no remembrance of the next morning. My memory is much more around like being surprised. Cause I did not know that an orgasm was going to happen and I didn't know what it was. So I, yeah. I was not prepared for that. I liked it. And um, I know that I started masturbating after that. But uh, yeah, I don't remember the next morning, per se. Yeah. I remember thinking that I didn't assume anyone else there had done that. Mm. Mm -hmm. At this point, had you already started kissing boys, kissing the the man who's now your partner? (laughs) Uh, No, I did not start kissing him until about a year later or something kind of like kissing, I guess. Um, (laughs) uh, But um, I think my first, my first kissing was my mom ran a daycare out of our basement and there was a boy there that I was into as much as one can be as like a five-year-old or four-year-old. And he and I used to go under a blanket and kiss there like for long periods of time. I guess there was that secrecy thing. I bet I guess that was earlier too, (laughs) because we would hide. My mom would go upstairs to make us all lunch and he and I would hide under a blanket and we would kiss for long periods of time or what my five-year-old brain understood as long periods of time. What kind of kissing was it? Was it on the cheek, closed mouths? What was it? I think it was a very awkward, extended, closed mouth kiss on the lips. <laughs> very long. <laughs> That's very cute. And was there any touching other than your lips? No, 
nope, it was just that. It was it hadn't occurred to me to do anything else, but I thought we should be under a blanket. It was absolutely my <laughs> idea, not his. We should be under a blanket. And this is kissing. So we should do this. Was he your first boyfriend? Like, did you use that kind of language then? Um, no, I don't think I did. Um, and I don't know why I chose him other than maybe just that he was a boy who was my age at my mom's daycare <laughs> in yeah. my social circle. No, I don't think I used the word boyfriend until my, until who's now my current partner. And that even took a while because we started, I don't know, being kind of like friends with benefits at 12. <laughs> no, wait, at 12, there was a week where we were dating, quote unquote, and that meant very little other than talking on the phone. But after that, we were friends with benefits. And then at a certain point, I think before 14, he was my boyfriend again for a while. So I think that we should just clarify for people who are listening that Connor has come in and out of your life several times. And so it's not that he was your first boyfriend and he is now still your partner. It's that the two of you have come back around together. Correct. Yes. And through a very roundabout way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we'll go through that, but okay. So 12 years old friends with benefits, what kind of benefits (laughs) does a 12 year old have? (laughs) Right. Um, (laughs) I know that we talked on the phone all the time and there was phone sex, which wow, he initiated much more because he knew much more what he was talking about. And I, I'm not sure where, maybe he was seeing porn and I had never seen it, mm-hmm. but I, I wanted so badly to reciprocate in these. I just didn't have the language. I didn't know how, but um, I would, you know, I would be very receptive to it. Yeah. Um, so we would have phone sex and, um, how explicit did the phone sex get? I think it was just, I think it it was pretty explicit in that it was fantasizing about foreplay. I don't remember specifically what, but definitely foreplay related stuff. Um, and all the way through actual sexual intercourse or penis and vagina. Uh Yeah. But, um, it was also very basic understanding of these things because he didn't have sure. a huge understanding of them either. When the two of you were together in person, did the benefits go up to penis and vagina intercourse? Or was that just a talk thing? That was just a talk thing. Mm-hmm. And when we were friends with benefits, that also meant we did not kiss on the mouth, which I think I had seen Pretty Woman for the first time. And oh I my got God, that yes. in my head. Right? <laughs> yes. And that that made sense to me mm-hmm. and uh, and made sense to him. And yeah, so we would kind of like, I guess, like mess around, which was probably or which. No, yeah, definitely. It was mostly over the clothes type of touching or, you know, maybe some dry humping eventually. And then when we were more around 13 or 14, I remember was the first time I took any clothing off. Mm hmm. What was that like? Was it exciting? Scary? Uh, it was both because I had a lot of body image issues. Like I had a button up shirt that I was wearing that I would only unbutton just lower than my breasts. Mm. So I did that and took off my bra and um, he went downstairs and came back up with a cup of ice cubes because he was 
smart little 12 year old. Oh my God. 13 year old, 13 year old. (laughs) And, uh, and uh, put them in his mouth and used them on my nipples, which was divine. And wow. uh, yeah, yeah. So that was very exciting. And I was super into it, but I was also really held back by an idea that I didn't want him to see me mm. naked. Mm-hmm. So, okay, I have to ask. Uh, what kind of was he watching a lot of porn? Did he have other partners before you? Like, where was he coming up with these things? I don't know. I um, I know he watched porn. I know that other boys that he hung out with and had sleepovers with watched porn. Mm-hmm. I imagine he would have gotten it from there. But I, I, yeah, I don't know beyond that. That's very advanced for a 13 year old. (laughs) I know. I know. He's always been experimental, like even from a pretty young guy. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like you were having pleasure pretty much right away in your experimentations with him. Yes. Yeah. I was very, um, I was very easily excitable with him. Mm -hmm. Like I was very turned on with him from a young age. We had a very natural chemistry so the things that we did were incredibly pleasant. At some point, I did want to start kissing on the mouth, and we were not in that mode. Mm-hmm. And so what did you do? Did you go from friends with benefits to actual relationships so you could kiss on the mouth? Or did you find some other way? We went on a trip. <laughs> I went on a trip with him and his family, who did not somehow realize that he and I were together in some way and we Uh just kind of like build it as I'm his best friend I can Uh come with so I did we went camping and one night oh this was the first time I had oral sex actually now now that I think about it and you're what 14 now 13 Mm, 14 right around 14 okay yeah and uh we went for a walk down by the beach and uh we started, I don't know, making out without kissing on the mouth, um, just like <laughs> kissing everywhere else on the beach. And people kept walking by and that was annoying. So we moved to a women's bathroom, like out for people on the beach. And he went down on me for the first time. I went, I went down on him for the first time in there. People tried to come in at least once. I slammed the door closed as I was, uh, I had my mouth on him. And wow. uh, yeah. Yeah, that was fun. And then I think the next day or the day after that was actually my first kiss because we never kissed on the mouth. So he and I kissed a couple days after that. I think we went out to eat. His parents were hanging out for dinner and making their own food. And he asked whether we could go to the restaurant they had at the campground. They said, sure. So we went. And afterward, we went and walked around and he kissed me on the mouth and it was very romantic and very unexpected. Wow. So you had oral sex before you had your first kiss. I did. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So going back to the women's bathroom, Mm -hmm. not necessarily the most comfortable place (laughs) to give or receive for the first time. Um, But did you enjoy it? Yes and no. Um, I really enjoyed going down on him that I really enjoyed. He put his mouth on me when I was still up 
against the door. So I was standing up and I didn't have a whole lot of context for how that was supposed to work. Mm -hmm. And it felt funny or interesting, but kind of good, but I don't know. And um, we didn't do that for too long, but we Mm -hmm. moved on to him pretty soon, I think. And I'm pretty sure that was my idea. And did you take him all the way to um, Climax that first time? I don't remember. Hmm. I don't remember. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so then after you have your first kiss, does that mean that you're now officially dating? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And how was that for you? Dating or the first kiss? Well, both. (laughs) First kiss, I was incredibly nervous for because I had been wanting it so badly. And I'm pretty sure I had very dry mouth. I know I had really sweaty hands. (laughs) But it felt very romantic. And I was really excited with what that felt like it meant to me. And then after that, he and I got closer for only, I think, a couple months. And then he became interested in someone else and started spending time with her. And that kind of just drifted off in that direction. And that must have been hard, I imagine. Yeah, it was it was my first heartbreak. I was... Mm. I still consider him my first love and I was seriously heartbroken and very embittered for a 14 year old and um, kind of started to repeat a lot of relationship patterns based on that one throughout the rest of my life. So like it was pretty significant at the time. What kind of patterns? Oh, I tended to date men who, um, kind of had wandering eye put up with it while still wanting very desperately to like get their affection back. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, it was just something I kept trying for and trying at. And I've, I've often wondered whether doing so was kind of just me wanting so badly to kind of go back and make that situation go differently Mm -hmm. because I did that for like later relationships with people I cared a whole lot less about. Mm. So let's back up a little bit to your childhood home, what were you hearing at home about sex and being female and female sexuality? Um, My mom and my dad both talked and probably my dad more than my mom talked to me from a young age about safe sex, about what sex was and about safe sex. I remember them at least doing it a handful of times. I'm sure more than that. And, uh, because it was often coming from him, I don't remember getting any information on the female sexual experience at all. Mm-hmm. My mom is a sexual trauma survivor, and she, as far as I can tell, is not super into sex. Mm-hmm. And she certainly shies away from that subject as like female pleasure. Like she, I can't even imagine her talking about it. I don't think she experiences a lot of it. Mm-hmm. So I got most of that from my dad. So you got some technical information about sex. Um, Mm -hmm. What kind of messages did you get about being a girl about like you were supposed to do these things or you were not supposed to do these things? I remember when my parents found out that Connor and I were engaging in sexual activities of the kind that we were, which was not full intercourse yet. But um, they found out about that 
and were very, very angry. Mm. My dad told me that people were going to get the idea that I was easy. My mm. mom backed that idea up. I rejected that idea saying that I don't think that's how people are viewed anymore and said, yes, it was. So there was a lot of shame around that on top of which once they found out about it, I think they stopped having like healthy, good sex talks with me and instead started, well, there's a lot of shaming around that time. Connor and I weren't allowed to be at our friends' houses together unless there was a parent and like a door open or something like that. My dad would call ahead and talk to the moms of my friends when I'd be over at their houses to let them know. Wow that I engage in activities that aren't considered wholesome and um, that they need to keep an eye on me. So there was a lot of, I think actually the point of that was shaming. Yeah. It certainly sounds shaming. Mm -hmm. And I imagine that you and Connor being the industrious young teenagers that you were probably found ways around those restrictions. At that point, I think that's when our relationship started petering out. Oh, yeah. If I'm remembering timeline correctly, probably because they were making it difficult. And I think his 14-year-old boy brain uh, was very engaged in the idea of getting to see someone regularly and without restriction and sort of went after another girl in his neighborhood. I, I don't think he dated, but they started playing or whatnot. I never got the details on that. But I think it was because of the restrictions and the shaming. My my parents made it very difficult. Mm. So when the two of you um, were no longer together and you were going through this heartbreak, were you interested in dating anybody else or did you were your eyes still on Connor? Like how was that for you? No, I was not interested in still dating Connor at that point. I think I felt like I really needed to dig my heels into some righteous indignation to get over him. <laughs> uh -huh. And so I just banished him from everything. It sucks too, because I, I keep pretty detailed journals going all the way back. And that one I burned oh. <laughs> after we broke up. So I don't have any of those memories anymore. It's just like he and I have pieced it together from what we can remember. But no, I was I was kind of spitting nails for a long time. I think the first three years of high school. Interestingly, though, when I got to high school, I became or I got really into the idea that I wanted to have sexual intercourse. Mm -hmm. I had never had it before. Not I had only had oral up to oral sex before. Mm -hmm. I'd never had it. And it wasn't about a desire to be sexual. It was about a desire to not have virginity anymore because mm -hmm. it was, it, it's like it was burning a hole in my pocket. Like it was, it was making me crazy having it. And I just wanted knowledge and I wanted to be past a period where I was a virgin. Mm. So how did you lose your virginity? Oh, which is just a that, terrible phrase, by the it's way. It's <laughs> just awful. It's awful. And like, yeah, it just con conjures up this image of like a, a precious flower being torn. Being sundered. <laughs> yes, yes. I had a boyfriend who was horrible and I dated him for a year and a half. 
he was 21 and I was 17. Mm-hmm. He lived with his parents, but he could be home anytime and we could be together anytime. And they were often at work. So I would go over there on my free periods during high school. I remember I knew that us having sexual intercourse was coming up. Like I knew that it was going to happen. And I started getting these terrible nightmares for like a couple weeks beforehand mm. about tremendous pain, like getting stuck with a pin or something like that and, and like being in pain. And it was always like this very phallic idea of something pricking me and then me hurting. Hmm. And I received a lot of the, a, a lot of message um, from, I'm not even sure where that it really hurts the first time you have sex. Yeah. So as much as I wanted to no longer be a virgin, I was also really scared of how that experience would go. Are you aching to explore new vistas of your sexuality? Do you hear me talk about concepts on this show and think it makes sense, but I need help applying it to my particular situation? That's where personalized sex and intimacy coaching comes in. When you work with me, I promise to help you feel safe exploring your sexuality. Together, we'll look at your needs and desires without judgment and help you figure out how to fulfill them. There is no single answer that's right for everyone, so I'm going to help you discover what's right for you. And we'll go at your pace. That's the pace that respects your emotional needs, your boundaries, and your nervous system. Because going too fast can send you into shutdown, while going too slow can be infuriating and exhausting. The goal is to find what's right for you. I work with clients who are motivated to explore many different areas of sexuality, including things like expressing your sexual desires to current or future partners, exploring if you might be queer, challenging body image insecurity in sexual relationships, dipping your toes into BDSM, exploring consensual non-monogamy, learning to date after a long time out of the dating pool, exploring your sexuality for later in life virgins, and so much more. I want you to have a deeply fulfilling, intimate life. And together, we can help you get there. For more information and to schedule your discovery call, visit leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. That's leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. And so he and I were in his bedroom and there was nothing glamorous or romantic about it whatsoever. I mean, pillowcases with holes in them and it just was spongy (laughs) and like, and I remember I got a cramp in one of my, um, in one of my thighs as we were doing it, like a muscle cramp and it was intense but I didn't want to say anything because I'm like, well, maybe this is just kind of part of it. Oh, no. Yeah. And it tore me up pretty good. I was not adequately lubricated. Mm-hmm. He was slightly larger. And 
it was really, it really felt not about my experience at all. It felt like about his. So it tore me up. And I remember like just really physically hurting afterward for a day. Was he aware of how much pain you were in? Do you think? No, Mm -hmm. no, I would not have told him that. No, I really wanted to, like, he's five years older than me. So like, I really wanted to seem, I don't know, sophisticated or like Mm -hmm. I, even though I didn't know what I was doing and he knew that I was a virgin, like I still had enough knowledge or something like that. And despite the physical pain afterward, I was elated afterward to Mm -hmm. finally have that behind me. We went and uh, visited some friends afterward and I just couldn't wait to tell them like, I was just like so excited about it. Like it just felt, I'm not sure why virginity as a concept felt like a burden, but it had felt like a burden that was kind of taken off me at that point. Hmm. Did he know that you were a virgin? Yes. Mm -hmm. And so did you continue having intercourse with him after that first time? Yeah, a lot, very frequently then. And did it get better? As far as I understood it at the time, it got better. It it got less painful much of the time, but not always. I don't think, you know, he's 21. I I don't know that he knew a whole lot about me being properly lubricated. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I was, and sometimes I wasn't. And I don't think either of us quite knew what caused that or didn't. But yeah, we started having sex like a lot. Oh, and I had found out or he had told me that um, he was really into anal sex. So and I was 17 at that point. And I was like, okay, is that something that you want? And he said that he did. And so we uh, we tried it three times, um, not the same day. We three different occasions. (laughs) Thank God. (laughs) Yeah. No, no. I I knew when to quit for the day. But um, each time I stopped him because it just, it was really, really painful. And I, I'm perfectly fine with the concept of anal sex, but it, to me, when it's being done to me has always felt, I don't know, like something's being taken from me Hmm. and it feels, it's not felt emotionally good at all for me Mm -hmm. ever. Not sure what the source of that is other than maybe these experiences I know that they were very painful. I was not at all relaxed. And uh, the only reason we tried it three times was because I was like hell bent on being able to be like all of his sexual fantasies. Yeah. Were you using any lube? I was just trying to remember that. I maybe, but most of the time we we didn't have any around. So very possibly not. Oh, you know what? He was using saliva as lube. Oh, God. Yeah. 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 So I'm no so sorry. <laughs> yes. No wonder it hurt. Yeah. That fucking sucks. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I asked you that question, a question about pleasure and you answered it in terms of intercourse, but mm-hmm. what about the rest of your body? Did you have pleasure with him from touching from closeness? Yes. Mm-hmm. And I, really believed that I loved him at the time. He was not so great to me, but I got very attached to him. And so I was very thrilled by him. Uh, Furthermore, you know, him being five years older, I really just couldn't be bothered with 
doing things with most high school boys that I knew. And so <laughs> that idea was very exciting to me. Yeah. So I, I was very thrilled by his touch and by his attention and by all of that. And I did, yeah, I did think I, I did feel like I loved him at the time. I don't in retrospect think that I did. But. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did things end with him? He, well, he cheated on me a bunch. That was just throughout our relationship. And finally he told me that he was polyamorous and, um, and that after like a year and a half that we needed to be, or else we weren't going to be together. And that he also wanted to be with, he wanted to be with me and this other girl who was my age that he was dating. He also had been cheating on me with her for quite a while. Hmm. He brought that all up on my birthday. Oh, geez. Yeah. And it was a, it was a terrible introduction to polyamory, which I, you know, I went into a very fully poly lifestyle after that quite a few years after that, but despite that introduction to it, which was just the worst way to put any of that, we kind of like decided to take a week break from each other. And after I think about five days, I drove down to see him and I asked him to meet me in a parking lot. I was, I was in college at the time, asked him to meet me in a parking lot. And um, we did, it was the Barnes and Noble. We made out in my car some and we said sweet, nice things to each other. And then we talked about our relationship and it just became very clear that it was not going to work anymore. Mm-hmm. And I was crushed. And uh, yeah, we, we kind of just went our separate ways. Yeah. Was that heartbreak on par with the first heartbreak? Probably. And, and, also probably because in both of those scenarios, you know, it was always that there was another person that was, that he was more interested in at that point that he was moving along for. Yeah. Which was it's a terrible way to have a end of a relationship. It's a hell of an ego buster and to have it happen twice in a row. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At a young age. Yeah. yeah. So what happened next? In my sexual experience? Yes. I decided um, that I wanted to put as much distance as I could between me and that ex-boyfriend. And so I started very indiscriminately having sex with as many people as I could. Mm-hmm. That um, I remember the second person. I remember him because I have a picture I took of him while drinking as he was just putting his shirt back on after we had sex on the floor of a party I was at freshman year of undergrad. And um, I only ever refer to him as Timmy, Tommy, Jimmy, Johnny, because his name is one of those. <laughs> I have no idea. And I have that one picture and that's it to re- like to remember that. That was my second person. I met him that night. I knew him for 45 minutes and never saw him again. Hmm. Other opportunities started presenting themselves. I started drinking a whole bunch around that time. I became just a very, very heavy drinker and um, was partying a whole lot. I, you know, I, I have no problem with the concept of wanting to have sex with many different people. At that time, I was doing it very unhealthily. Mm-hmm. I was pursuing it in a way that was somehow meant to, 
I don't know, continue to put distance between me and that first guy that I had sexual intercourse with. I don't know that would make me somehow wiser and more experienced. And, um, uh, I was drunk or stoned for most of them through age 23. Mm. I remember you saying to me once that you had sex with a lot of men because it was easier than saying no. Oh yeah, definitely. It was, it was an odd experience because it was like I was on a mission to get myself in a situation where let's see if I'm going to have sex with this guy. And I really think what I wanted was the validation or the attention or some sort of just something that made me just that validated me as a person, as a sexual being, as someone who you could want. That was very much tied up in having felt really unwanted from my boyfriend um, that I first had sexual intercourse with and with Connor, you know, a few years before that. And I would get myself into these situations generally uh, where it would be like, all right, are we going to do this? You know, be at a party. I would often be the one to start something, start making out. We'd get to the point where it's like, are we going to have sex? And at that point I had no interest anymore because what I had wanted to accomplish, I think was done. And I didn't know how to get out of that situation. So I would just acquiesce. A lot of them were friends of mine. So I, I wanted to smooth things over and I didn't want to get known as someone who didn't follow through. I often described myself at the time as a real good sport mm. and was kind of proud of that. My ability to just kind of like get through it. And it was increasingly damaging every time. But yeah, it was, it was always easier. You know, in situations where I did say no to a guy also, that's just so much ugliness would come out. And especially because a lot of it was in a drinking environment, so they were drinking. So that kind of heats things up a little bit. If I'm going to say no to a guy at that age, especially, I'd better be ready to be told I'm fat and ugly and they didn't really want me anyway and insinuate that they were doing me a favor or that mm. um, they really didn't want it or whatever. And so it was incredibly damaging to hear that stuff. And I think I often just deemed it as more damaging than just getting through sex. And that was what it was. It was just getting through it. Yeah. Um, it sounds like what you needed was to know that people wanted you, mm -hmm. but you didn't actually want to follow through on it. Yes. Yeah, because I had no interest in those people. Mm -hmm. um, I actually kind of hated most of them, especially in the moment. Mm -hmm. I found a journal entry from myself at around age 20. And I was talking about sex and I was just listing all these things that sex is. There's just a bunch of concepts. Sex is a weapon. Sex is a cruelty. Sex is, you know, and it just kept, I kept listing all these things and none of them were about pleasure. Wow. I was very deeply confused and embittered. Mm -hmm. And I, I walked around angry all the time. I used to have bald fists and I would just be angry. And, and the anger was good. I think it was very energizing because around that period, I also got very depressed. Mm -hmm. And my senior year of undergrad, after having done that enough, I lost sexual response 
such that I went and talked to my gynecologist. I talked to a few people, my gynecologist at the time and said, I feel nothing during sex, really. I mean, like, I feel that I am having sex, but I can't even masturbate to completion myself almost ever. I have very little sex drive and I just, I can't feel pleasure at all. And I think there's something wrong with me. And she said she thought I was depressed, which I absolutely was. Mm -hmm. It wasn't physical. Mm. So when you started dealing with the depression, did your sensation return? Well, that was a many year process. I didn't start in, well, I, I was able to start masturbating to completion. I think again, regularly after I graduated, but I didn't actually enjoy sex until I started having sex with my now ex-husband mm-hmm. when I was 24. Okay. So there was a, a couple year gap in there. It sounds like mm-hmm. there was a couple years where I just continued doing what I had been doing, which was having a lot of sex with people, usually on a substance of some or, or two and not enjoying it, kind of just pursuing the same thing, just more and more deeply into it. What made your ex-husband different? Oh, so many things. He, he was very much into me. And I felt that Mm -hmm. it wasn't just like a hookup at a party because we happened to be there. I don't know. It, it felt so good to just kind of be seen. And I felt like I was with him and that he wanted to be sweet with me. And from the very first sexual encounter, which was also our first date and our first kiss, um, (laughs) that very first night, we were super into some kink already. And that was thrilling. So he was exciting. I just remember my heart used to race when he would, when I would see him. And that was so novel to me. I hadn't felt like my heart alive, like with (laughs) any, not just a person, but like, it kind of just felt dead in response to most situations for years. And he was very much about my pleasure, Mm -hmm. which people before that had not been. I remember one guy specifically in undergrad who went down on me, who gave me oral sex. I remember him not because I remember who he was because it was a one off with someone I only knew for a couple hours, but because he went, went down on me. And that was so novel at the time. Like no one else, no other guys were doing that. Mm -hmm. So my ex-husband being into my pleasure, like really into my pleasure at the time was, I felt very touched by it. Like I felt very, I don't know. It felt very heartwarming to me. You mentioned that you were into kink with him right away. Had you been having kink experiences with other people? Maybe like some light tying up mm-hmm. or something like that. With my boyfriend at the end of high school, he and I used to do some role play And I think we were, I think we talked about kink a lot, but I hadn't really gotten into kink until a year before I started dating my ex-husband. And that was just on my own. I remember I first read a blog about being a sub Mm -hmm. and it was a a blog post. It was a very long one. And it was talking about all these things that you, you might be into as a sub and like what that mindset is like and the idea of pain and I just fell in love with this blog Mm. post. I loved it. I printed it out. And um, 
I started like absorbing as much as I could. I remember I saw the movie Secretary and I just, I was so (laughs) into it. I slept next to the DVD the night I saw it. And I just, (laughs) it was like, it felt so personal and it was just so great. And um, so I developed kink like that kind of in a vacuum because I wasn't actually experiencing that with anyone. I just read it and saw it and recognized it as me at the time. Hmm. So with your ex-husband, what kind of kink play was he introducing you to? Our first date led to us walking back to my apartment, our first kiss on the way to my apartment. We got to my apartment and shortly after we got there, just, uh, I don't know, some sort of sexual something exploded in that room. And um, (laughs) it was like three hours of just... uh, shenanigans um (laughs) sexual shenanigans um but he actually showed up with a backpack that I hadn't questioned on our first date he just had a backpack okay oh and he opened the backpack and he had like handcuffs and blindfold and some a few other things that I don't even remember anymore oh uh some sensory items like a uh, one of those, uh, I think it's called a vampire glove. It's yeah. like a glove that has like those little scratchy things on it and use those on me, uh, which was very exciting. He spanked me and like pretty hard, which I was super into. Hey friends, if you don't want to hear about knife play, please skip forward one minute, 45 seconds. And at one point he had my wrists bound together and he told me to go into the kitchen and I was naked and get a kitchen knife. <laughs> and, uh, and I had two thoughts as I walked across my living room like that. One, I have no shades. And so all my neighbors can just see me walking <laughs> naked from one room to the next with my hands bound. And two, my ex-husband, I had known him for years, not very well, but I had known him for years. And I started considering how well do I know this person? Yeah. Because he's about to do something with a knife. And while that's very exciting to me, and it was, it was very thrilling. Am I sure I'm not going to be killed? (laughs) Yeah. Because then he tied me to my bed, face down, naked. And um, arms over my head. So tied to the top of the futon. He told me exactly what he was going to do. He was going to drag the knife just down my body like my back and and my butt and everything. And and he said that it was, it was not about um, pain, that this was about being sensual. This was about, this is a a deep trust kind of activity. This is, you know, really kind of the idea of me surrendering myself to him to do this and the thrill of that. But it's, it's very much more about, it's more about intimacy than anything having to do with pain because it didn't hurt. He dragged it very lightly And that was so thrilling. Oh, I love that so much. And that had never even occurred to me to do with anyone before. Yeah. And rightly so. Before him, I I truly didn't know whether any of those people, you know, would kill me. (laughs) Like, I didn't know them. Most or a lot of them. I didn't know them. The ones who were my friends. Yeah. Uh, That was not something I'd bring up with them. I'm curious So he shows up with this backpack, which, by the way, puts all of those young men to shame who, or I should say, it makes it sound silly when we shame guys for showing up with a condom, (laughs) you know, like, um, but 
he showed up clearly with intent. What mm-hmm. kind of conversation that did the two of you have about consent before he started tying you up and dragging a knife over your body? Absolutely none. <laughs> because before him, the sex I had was so risky anyway. Yeah. You know, I wasn't using a condom a lot of the time because I was usually pretty wasted. And it just didn't come up. Yeah. We should have. We honestly should have. Because one thing that did bother me tremendously in retrospect about that sexual experience that very first time was that on two or three occasions that night before he actually entered me, like Mm -hmm. uh, PIV, I had made the comment like two or three times, I have condoms over on the windowsill. Like I had them in a container. And he noted it, but didn't uh, say anything about it. We're still doing foreplay. And um, when it came to right before sex, I kind of felt like it was coming up. And I said to him again, you know, I have condoms over there. I didn't say use one. I said, I have them mm-hmm. because I, I was in a very passive place at that point in my life, as far as what I felt was my right to say during sex. Mm-hmm. And despite my having said that a few times, he did not use one. He didn't address it either. He just didn't use one. And, you know, that is something that bothered me all throughout our marriage. Just the memory of that. Mm. It's like he broke trust that very first time. He did. I mean, like, overwhelmingly, it was a positive experience. I was super into him and it was exciting. But that was a red flag then that I ignored and I shouldn't have. Friends, I talk a lot about consent, what it is, and how to talk about it. And I get a lot of questions about how to do it without killing the mood. Here's the thing. A consent conversation can be hella sexy when it's done well. But I know that even if you believe that in theory, figuring out how to do it yourself can be intimidating. Which is why I'm so excited about Dipsy. Dipsy is an audio app full of short, sexy stories designed to turn you on. And many, most actually, include some consent conversation woven into the story. It's a perfect way to learn by listening and give yourself a little happy ending at the same time. You'll hear a Dommy character give a sub an instruction then do a steamy check-in to make sure they're comfortable. Or two characters in the middle of an intense hookup ripping each other's clothes off and confirming that they're both a hell yes for what they're doing. I promise, if you subscribe to Dipsy, you'll get a master-level course in how to do sexy consent conversations. Every story is a fully immersive radio play where you get to hear the characters flirt, dirty talk, work each other up, and orgasm. And if you need help winding down, Dipsy also has sensual bedtime stories and soundscapes to keep you company as you relax and drift off to sleep. Dipsy releases new content every week, so there are constantly new fantasies for you to explore. For listeners of this show, 
Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash goodgirls. I promise, I wouldn't recommend this app if I didn't enjoy it so much myself. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash goodgirls. That link is in the show notes, so go to dipsystories.com slash goodgirls. So I know that the two of you, well, I don't know, did you begin your relationship as a monogamous relationship, or did you immediately become polyamorous together? No, we were non-monogamous right from the start. Mm -hmm. My dating history tends to thread itself all into itself. So the person that the guy that I was dating at the end of high school, he left me for this other girl when he decided he was polyamorous. That girl was now living girlfriend of my ex-husband. Are you shitting me? Yeah. No, no. (laughs) And, um, that's how I knew him. I knew him through like a group of friends and she was with him not with my ex-boyfriend anymore. Yeah. So that was interesting. I, I had <laughs> never met her in person, but I knew of her because she was the girl who had taken my boyfriend at, at the beginning of undergrad. I've um, never heard she that and I before. Became, <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She, she and I became great, uh, very good friends. Um, so she, he was living with her full time, but he started staying up with me one or two nights a week. And were they just roommates or were they partners? No, they were partners and he had a secondary, you would say secondary partner in Florida that uh, was a woman he had been with like for a very long time, longer than anyone else, but really only very much in a, in a secondary fashion. It was also his best friend who also is the person who married my ex-husband and me the day we got married. (laughs) And um, (laughs) so I was kind of like his third girlfriend at the time. Um, but like I say third that way because there was a, an order of succession. Mm-hmm. I was very much kind of like, I think he, he fell in love with me. We fell in love with each other pretty early on in our dating, but I kind of still ranked below both mm-hmm. of the others for a very long time. But I hung out with his other girlfriends and they were great. I, they became friends. Uh-huh. And were, what were you doing? Were you dating other people? At the time, this is me at 24 now, I said for about a year and a half with him, I said, I, I will, I want to be with you. I want to date you. I'm not polyamorous because I had, I had had such a bad taste in my mouth after the end of high school experience where my boyfriend just kind of announced that and then was cheating on me um, already. I said, I'm not polyamorous, but I will date you, you know, kind of just like informally. Sure. And then uh, after about a year and a half of that, I decided that I didn't want to leave him. I kind of dated other people during that period. I I had a few sexual experiences with a few other people, but really I only wanted to be with him at the time. Like I, he felt safe for me and I hadn't felt safe with a person in a very long time. Mm -hmm. And uh, after about a year and a half, it became clear that I was, we were kind of permanently in each other's lives or seemed so at the time. We were together 11 years total. 
And I had to kind of make a decision that this was going to be a lifestyle that I would be into having and decided that it was um, because I knew that he was always going to be polyamorous. And I thought, thought at the time, well, you know, I've done this pretty well so far. So I think I can keep doing this. Mm-hmm. It's fine. So uh, there's a term poly under duress or PUD. Uh mm. And I wonder if you feel like you were in that poly under duress situation, or did you get to the point where you thought, no, this is actually who I am. And it was just sort of a a twisty road to get here. I got eventually to where I owned it much more as my own, but I think it was in retrospect, always kind of a, probably under duress situation, Mm -hmm. Uh, mainly because in retrospect, I don't think he was terribly good at it. I really didn't feel very safe with him. Like I felt safe with him sexually, like for the first time ever, but I didn't feel safe with him in like relationship style. He broke up with his like primary girlfriend um, and uh, he and I moved in together. And at that point, I just didn't feel safe that he wasn't going to cheat on me because he, um, you know, break the rules of our relationship, which he did at least a couple times, probably more than that. So like, he didn't feel like a secure relationship to me, but I knew that like, this is what I needed to do to stay with him. So I really tried to make it my own from the get go. Once I decided I was going to be in this lifestyle with him and live with him, I joined a poly support group and started going without him. I wanted it to be mine. I wanted to kind of absorb and, and just understand it. And, and I, I definitely warmed up to it and I definitely had some good experiences with it. I I started dating mostly women while I was with Mm -hmm. him, mostly women. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I I started enjoying some of that, but there was never a, a real sense of security in the relationship. By the time I started dating Connor, my current partner, by the time I started dating him again, I was still married and the marriage, the, the, the love had kind of fizzled like out slowly over time. And I started, um, seeing Connor again and that was very thrilling. And then I was, I I was able to enjoy it a little bit or enjoy it more because at that time we were living in a poly household. It was the three of us. The, so the three people in the house were Connor, you, and your ex-husband. Yep. And they were both with me, but not with each other. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I was able to do that very easily. But it was because I really had removed the need to trust my ex-husband because I, I just wasn't as invested in, we weren't as invested in each other anymore. So that didn't hurt really some of the experiences before really did. I don't think he lived a lot of good principles of poly lifestyle. And I really tried hard to do that and be Mm -hmm. very ethical and fair and considerate. And he was often not ethical, fair and considerate. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that during that time, you were primarily dating women. So I'm curious what your sexual experiences have been with women? Are they as enjoyable? Are, is that something that you desire or crave? 
Yeah. And actually I've, I've realized in the last few years that um, I'm much more oriented toward women than men. I fall much harder for women much faster and um, get, especially like from my, my youngest fantasies I remember even having were always about women at the beginning and, and have more often than not been about women, like all through adulthood. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I, I dated some women I was super into and sex was enjoyable and um, very fulfilling. And I tended with one exception, I tended to trust the women I was with tremendously. They just felt very trustworthy and we could have very intimate engagements with each other, you know, while not like being full-time partners or people who are dating. Do you feel like you have a better picker with women than you do with men or did it just happen that way? No, I definitely have a better picker with uh, with, <laughs> with women than with men in general. My my current part with Connor is beautiful, and I he's great. Otherwise, I tend to I don't know. I tend to go for just really great, very sweet, very intelligent, really interesting and trustworthy women. Hmm. I I feel very much at home in feminine sexual energy. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to skip around in the timeline for just a little bit because your ex-husband is an (laughs) ex-husband. He he is now gone (laughs) and you and Connor are, that's your primary relationship. How do you interact with women now? Do you have extracurricular or open relationships with women or like, how do you get that piece of your desire filled? That's difficult entirely to say, because a lot of it's in theory. When my ex-husband left, Connor and I had about a year that it was now suddenly just him and me. And it was a very much a honeymoon period. We were so fixated on each other and then went through a few hardships that year that made it very difficult. So I really was not, for the most part, dating during that time period. And then COVID. And so experiences I've had with other people, uh, sexual experiences have been with Connor there and have been very few and far between because, you know, being very, very choosy, very selective with COVID and not dating anyone for the first I don't know, half year of it uh, or sleeping mm-hmm. with anyone. So a lot of it is in theory, you know, what we can do. I I do wish to have further intimate engagements with women and with and without Connor. Mm -hmm. At some point in the year after my ex-husband left, it occurred to me that because, you know, Connor and I were, we we were already kind of grandfathered into a poly relationship and, um, Mm. And so that's just, we kind of maintained status quo after my ex-husband left. And for a while in that first year somewhere, I, it occurred to me that I can craft what relationship I want now because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not in that marriage anymore. We're kind of, it just had to be that way or nothing. And so Connor and I had a conversation where I was like, listen, I, 
I do want to still be able to date other people and have fun sexual experiences and intimate experiences and like lovey experiences, stuff like that. But I'm really not looking to have very like full relationships with other people. I I'm looking more for like very close, intimate friends that, you know, we can share experiences with that I keep in my life is very close, intimate friends and, you know, sweet and lovely and all of that. But I don't want to be having like, I don't want to be dealing with all the scheduling anymore. That was really something that tripped up a lot of before. I felt like I was spread way too thin when I was in like committed relationships with several people at once. Mm -hmm. It was not good for me. And I told Connor that's how I was going to approach things because that's kind of just what I want. And he said he was down. I said, I don't require you to do that as well, but just so Mm -hmm. you know, that's where I'm at. And he said that that sounds good to him. And that's, he wants to do that if that's where I'm at. And he really wasn't, seeking to have a very committed relationship with other people as it was. So that's fine with him. And um, we've identified as kind of monogamish since then. So like very, very selective about the situation. I've had a few lovely experiences with some women. They've been, they've been while Connor was around. When you say that, do you mean like threesome or more some, where he was involved or just that he was sort of in the general area and aware of what was going on? Uh, Both. Mm -hmm. The first was a threesome with a mutual friend, a woman, then a, like a foursome with her and her boyfriend at the time. And then there was another one in there and I'm not, I'm not recalling it right now, but (laughs) Yeah, it's okay. Um, so what is your sex life like today with Connor? We, um, we have a very healthy sex life. This incarnation of our relationship, we've been together, um, coming up on, no, we just, we just passed five years and we still are incredibly excited by each other, which is fun. And I did not expect that because it certainly wasn't how my marriage went, you know, by year five was not that exciting, but, uh, the one thing that has been a little detrimental to a lot of sexual spontaneity since so we moved into a house that we now own. We went from having two separate bedrooms in our last house that we rented, wherein we would spend uh, somewhere between two and four nights a week, generally sleeping together. And then the other nights spent apart. And that was so good for our relationship and so good for um, sexual spontaneity. And we have gone down to temporarily just down to one bedroom since we've been here. And now that's been about half a year and we have amazing sex. It's great, but it's not as frequent and not as spontaneous. Mm. I really just chalk that up to going to sleep and waking up next to each other every night morning. Before, when we had separate bedrooms, it was like the nights that we were together, we were really together. You know, there was there was intimacy usually or just it felt like going over and spending the night at his place. You know, we're like, hmm. like this evening is about us. And now, you know, there's there's a much more commonplace element to sleeping in the same bed where it's just like, well, this is what we do every night. 
no, it's definitely weird for me now to get like dressed up in lingerie or something like that Mm. with him because it kind of assumes sex when there's nothing necessarily implied about it. We're just going to be going to bed together and, you know, (laughs) he might not be in the mood and, you know, it just might not go that direction. And before it was like, well, it's, it's going to be an occasion. We're going to spend the night together. And so absolutely it's, it makes sense for me to wear lingerie or something like that. Mm-hmm. So it's just spontaneity issues. But um, what's interesting with him is that I had never before him had sex that I would describe as feeling terribly personal. I was with my ex-husband for 11 years and I was in love with him for the majority of that. And we had good sex, but it was very de- emotionally detached uh, most of the time. And, and it never felt terribly personal. It felt like he wanted to have sex, but it Mm. didn't feel like he was craving having sex with me even during it. You know, sex with Connor is so deeply personal, so deeply intimate. There's so much eye contact. We use each other's names and we, it's not about just having sex. It's about exploring each other. And I, I'd never, I'd never, done what uh, I consider to be the concept of making love. I'd never done that until Connor. I'd never had that. <laughs> I'd, I'd had sex with so many partners for years and I never experienced that. Yeah. And now I have that. So in some ways, although the spontaneity has kind of gone away, the sex gets better over time um, because we just get closer that's really exciting. I feel so, so safe with him, hmm. which is a big deal for me because I, no, that comes up a lot because I didn't feel safe with almost any of those people that I was having sex with before. Almost any of the men, I felt safe with the women by and large, but like with any of the men before. And, um, I don't know, sex with him feels like home. It's, it's really nice. It's very stimulating. He also, you know, we, we do, um, do a lot of fantasy play. We do a lot of role-playing and while I'm not as into pain anymore, I am into it to a lesser degree. I still love being a sub and I still love now for the first time ever. I, I love being a top. I dominate him now sometimes if I'm in the mood in that mental place, really. And that's exciting. I not really enjoyed that before ever. Um, one of the thing that I things that I know the two of you do together is um, you use drugs to enhance your sex life. Is that something you'd be willing to talk about? Totally. Yes. We use the drugs and they do enhance the sex life, but the point is not to enhance the sex life. But they, I mean, there's certainly a plan for like we plan for that because we know that that's going to come from it, but it's not the point. Okay. Thank you for that distinction. What would you like to know about it? Uh, how you use them, what what the effects are. It's just not something we've ever addressed on the show before. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Yes. So um, he and I are into psychedelics. And these aren't ones that are that we do all the time. And they aren't, they haven't really had negative impacts on us. They're, they've been really generally very positive experiences. We do mushrooms, we do LSD and um, Molly. 
And the impacts of those are very different. Mushrooms is a very, I don't know, it's it's a very earthy experience. And I, I guess I'd say earthy because I mean, like I can envision myself like having vines that are pulling me down into the bed and writhing around my body. And like, it feels like it. And the sex can be very drawn. Everything can be just drawn out so long and you don't get bored of it. It's just like endless fascination. And that's lovely. And then acid LSD is my favorite. We started having sex on acid to cope with the coming up because, you know, it's a, it's a pretty long experience. It's many hours. And the first few hours of it, you are coming up. And if you've taken a good amount of it, you're coming up pretty steeply. And it's just, I've felt before, like I can barely catch my breath and like, it can be very exciting, very thrilling, but there can also be a lot of anxiety during that because Mm -hmm. your brain is just, I don't know, everything starts feeling very alive and very awake and your heart can start pounding and, and to cope with that, he and I, the second time we did acid together, just started touching on each other and it felt amazing. Like it felt <laughs> so good. And we proceeded to do that for like three or four hours. And it, it is an incredibly sensual, uh, sensual experience. And, and it's also a lot of fascination with each other and with sensations. And it's like, there's nothing that exists outside of this bubble that we are in everything is amplified and and we're connecting i would never call it a party drug how we use it mm. that's so not the point of it we connect so deeply and we connect deeply during sex without it too but the experiences on it have been profound they've been major moments in our relationship the sex has been raw and kind of nuts. And I feel like indefatigable hmm. on it. Like, I think I gave a blowjob for 45 minutes. Well, definitely once, maybe, maybe a second time. Like this is a very long time to be doing that. And I had to stop <laughs> not because I didn't want to do it anymore. I stopped because my jaw was failing. Um, <laughs> like it was actually, I couldn't, the muscles were done. They were done. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like you just throw up lights and, so you create atmosphere, you have lights, you have music and it's loud and you just indulge in each other. And it's like a little planet of us. And I love it. I love those experiences. And they, they, the sex typically is between like two to three and occasionally a little bit more than that hours long. And that's just everything all combined. That's, you know, from first touching on each other. Um, and uh, often he generally doesn't have sex more than like once in a 24 hour period. But on those nights, um, it's usually two or three times. Oh, wow. You know, we start around nine at night and we go to sleep around uh, 5 a.m. <laughs> and sleep in <laughs> very long in the next day. It's delightful because he and I do trust each other a whole lot. We do have great chemistry. And so just that extra boost of everything is everything feels amazing. Everything looks amazing. And, you know, we just can't keep our hands off each other. It's lovely. It's delightful. And also, you know, there are times like during sex on acid where I can start feeling very anxious during it. Like my heart starts pounding because we're really engrossed in each other and we're doing all sorts of things to each other. And occasionally too, it can get very animalistic. I mean, like very like 
I, I don't know, it feels sort of like wolves or something um, going at each other. And that can get me a little bit anxious in the moment. And then, you know, in those occasions, then we stop and we like cuddle up with each other. We're naked. So the skin contact feels nice. And we just chill and let our hearts calm down and reconnect, which is what we say. You know, I just need to reconnect right now. Mm-hmm. Cause the idea is about staying as connected and open and raw as possible for the whole experience. And Molly tends to be his favorite. I've done X before, which is Molly with something, you know, with it that, that amps you up too. But Molly itself, you're not so amped. There's not like meth in it, you know, something like mm-hmm. that. Um, I don't, don't generally want to do ecstasy, but Molly is very lovely. It's, it's a very, it can be a very gentle drug. And we have sex on Molly. It's mostly just foreplay. Like what we really love doing, he really loves me um, just stroking his cock gently as we talk about our lives to each other. Mm. It's very sweet. It's very intimate. Or as we just say these really baldly honest and deeply sweet things to each other. It's very lovemaky. And none of it's manufactured because that's all already in our relationship with each other. I could see where that stuff could get manufactured doing it with someone else. And I don't do it with anyone else for that reason. But it really just enhances, all of them really just enhance, magnify things that are already there. I occasionally, especially on acid, I occasionally will just break into tears, actually, like right around when I orgasm. It's very emotional. There's so much energy running through my body, so much sexual energy that it's like it needs some place to go. And that's the only way it can release itself. It is. And the first time that happened, it really shocked me because I'd never cried during (laughs) sex. Suddenly I was just like, I couldn't stop. I was just like doubled over, but it was good. It was, it felt good. It felt like such a release. And I've had that experience a number of times now. And I, I kind of welcome it. It's like a full emotional experience and it's really precious that I get to have it with him. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Sure. Friends, if you love these conversations, I would love your help to keep them going. There are three ways you can participate. Two are free, and one is for listeners who've got a few extra dollars each month. Number one, take a screenshot of this episode right now and post it to your Instagram stories. Tag me in your post, and if it's public, I'll reshare and send you a personal thank you. Word of mouth is the best way to build buzz for an independent show like Good Girls Talk About Sex. And the more people listening, the healthier our collective sexual experiences will become. Number two, don't want the whole world to know you're listening to a show about sex? I get it. Perhaps you heard something in this episode that reminds you of a past conversation with a friend or something you wish your partner knew. Send them a link to this episode and a quick message about why you think they should listen. And number three, if you have the resources to support the sex positive work I do, I'd be grateful for your support at Patreon. Donating the equivalent of a fancy cup of coffee each month 
might not make a big difference to you, but it makes a huge difference to me. There's absolutely no contract or obligation. You can cancel at any time. Plus, I donate 10% of all proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are currently being legislated out of existence. It's easy to become a patron at patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. And one more thing. There is a treasure trove of additional audio at Patreon that's free to everyone. You don't even need to have a Patreon account to access them. Just go to patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex to start listening. I appreciate every one of you, whether you're a client, a patron, a social media follower, or a silent listener. I trust you to know what's right for you. Thank you for being here. Now, let's get back to the show. Hey, friends, we'll be discussing parent-child role-playing for the remainder of this episode. If you don't want to hear that, I recommend you stop the episode now, and I'll talk to you again next time. You've told me a little bit about some of the fantasy play that the two of you do, but I don't even know exactly the questions to ask. So I'm going to ask you just to sort of start talking and I may break in if I ask specific questions. Sure, sure. Um, So the fantasy play that we do, we go through a bunch of different topics for fantasy, but by and large, what we tend to stick to is me doing sort of mother play with him and him doing father play with me and not either of us as like little, little kids or anything like that. It tends to be more um, like around the age that he and I started seeing each other around like age 13 ish. Hmm. That tends to be like where the brain is. That was his first, um, his first sexual experience going as far as it did with me. And like that he had never had oral sex before. And my first, any experience for the most part. And uh, I think it's someplace that we go in our brains and he and I both have very difficult at times, certainly on my end, difficult and difficult at times on his end relationships with our parents, mine being a tremendously fraught relationship with my father has been very overbearing a lot of the time and um, gaslighting and can be kind of a bully at times when he's mad. Um, and it can be very intense. Connor has a relationship with his mom where he has an immense distrust of her, I think, a lot of the time. And he, there is something that happened in their relationship that he's not entirely sure how it got to this, but they, they, he has a very strong against her in a lot of ways. I think that we seek to explore parental relationships with each other. Now, he doesn't play my father. I would not be into that at mm-hmm. all. I don't play his actual mother. He doesn't play my actual father. But it's like a fantasy father, fantasy mother situation. And it's often the idea that like the parent is in one way or another taking advantage of this like person like whose sexuality is just blooming the person is into it it's not rape play in the sense of forcible rape although it's of course statutory play we aren't playing 
non-consent generally. You're not doing a no daddy don't kind of scene. No, it's much more like, so for my, my fantasy that we would play out with him being a, a father or father figure, sometimes stepfather or whatever. It's often like, you know, him trying to kind of just get away with whatever he can get away with. And I'm mm-hmm. into it, but in like not terribly experienced, but that I'm enjoying it. Um, and maybe you have to hide it from the other people in the families. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like the whole yeah. hiding things comes back around yep. again. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, you know, he, he was my first sexual experiences back when we were kids, like 12, 13, 14. So like we had to hide then. And, you know, that kind of plays in there. I actually did mother play with him once when we were staying in his mother's house. We were, oh, wow. We were, yeah, we were, we did very quietly. <laughs> she like, didn't know. And he didn't expect me to. I, I did that. And that was fun. It was thrilling uh, and novel, but um it's it's usually a mother taking advantage of her son when we do when he's the son mm-hmm. and he gets very into that idea. It's interesting because I had a conversation with somebody recently where we talked about her fascination with incest porn mm-hmm. and how this is actually an incredibly popular category on the porn mm-hmm. sites. And it's not about actually wanting to have an incestuous relationship with your parent or anyone in your right. family. But there is something about that dynamic that has some juice for a lot of people. And it sounds like what you're playing out is a version of incest porn. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, it has nothing about my desire for my father. Mm-hmm. Don't actually speak with him anymore. Um, but maybe for a a father figure that's giving me positive attention that's being sweet to me that's that's kind of seducing me in a way with like with with something that feels good Mm -hmm. he generally plays a pretty strong father figure I generally play a pretty strong-willed mother figure although like sometimes very nurturing and sometimes very punishing if that's what he's into at the moment Mm -hmm. it's been very cathartic for both of us at times is it something that you set up ahead of time or is it something that just develops in the moment? The first time we did it, we set it up ahead of time. We were, this was a, just over five years ago. It was at the very beginning of what we, what we consider to be the beginning of this incarnation of our relationship. And um, we discussed that we were into that. We were actually on acid at the time and we're feeling very honest and discussed that we were into that sort of thing. And he asked me what I like to play that. Was I interested in playing that out? Cause I'd never done that before. I'd only ever fantasized about it. And I said, wow, um, maybe the idea of it made me really excited, but really nervous. Like it, it was a very charged thing, you know, because there's always a lot of shame around it. You know, we still almost no one, Almost no one knows about it. Mm -hmm. And we kind of talked out like the way that it would go. He wanted to know like, okay, if we're playing this, how old am I? And I told him, like, I think I'm about 13. Okay. And is this more forcible? No, it's not. How does that fantasy tend to go for you generally? He asked. And I told him ways that it can go in my head. 
I kind of prepared myself on the bed. He left the room and he came back in. And once he came back in, it was like assuming this. He, he was really, really committed to it. Um, so was I. Wow. And I was so turned on. I was, it was so thrilling and it just felt so taboo. And it felt like something I was never going to be able to play out in real life with anyone like role play. Mm-hmm. I would never have admitted that to another partner at the time. I, you know, but it felt really good with him. And I remember, oh, I, I, I almost never come from a, like a G spot orgasm um, with him inside me. And I did that time. Oh, I was like, so turned on. It was, I was so ready. (laughs) And then it was immediately afterward, like immediately afterward, he left the room, you know, like, well, it was part of it. He left the room to kind of, you know, like he was going back to his room Mm -hmm. as he was opening the door to leave. I called his name, his real name, Connor. He immediately turned around and came and like scooped me up in his arms in the bed and just held me. And it was, I remember it being a very emotional experience. It was, you know, because that was, I'd never done that before that it felt dangerous. It felt incredibly vulnerable playing out something that felt so wrong. Mm-hmm. And it was aftercare I needed and probably aftercare he needed from, from having played that role. Mm-hmm. Sure. And um, that was really powerful. And we've done that since then. But mm-hmm. trying of tra- trading off who's kind of the parent. Mm-hmm. Now, at this point, we don't often need to negotiate the scene beforehand. We know each other very well sexually at this point. We know each other's fantasies sexually. Occasionally, when we're just kind of talking in bed, not sexually, just, just talking, you know, we'll discuss where, where your fantasies at with that sometime, but not often. Occasionally during it, there will be a little bit of negotiation, but that's also very seldom kind of like, that's not where I'm at right now. You know, mm-hmm. kind of switch tracks and we go to a like a different incarnation of that fantasy, you know, like a different temperament for the parent or whatnot. But, but that happens very seldom too. Like generally we've gotten really intuitive with each other. I'm surprised how intuitive I've gotten doing the mother role play because that does not come naturally to me the role play talking during sex, but that just kind of flows out of me. I, I assume a character and I'm able to just wear it. Like it's, yeah, I don't know. It feels good. It's, um, it's brought us closer. So you've talked about how it feels emotionally and sexually for you when you're playing the daughter role. How does it feel for you emotionally and sexually when you're playing the mother role? I find it very emotionally satisfying to play the nurturing mother. That is gratifying to me in that way. Emotionally, it feels really good to nurture. I'm not a mother. So it kind of feels good to nurture, even though it is in this kind of a way that I would not condone outside of fantasy, you know, for reasons of statutory rape. But I, um, in a way that feels very nurturing at the time, it's very nice to be sweet to him, to, to take care of him, to, um, assume authority, but not to, um, authoritarian but there are times when he wants more authoritarian he wants he wants to be shamed mm-hmm. and it's not unpleasant for me but it can take a lot to psych myself up for that mm-hmm. 
emotionally afterward, that tends to be one of those kind of cathartic things for him. And then he and I bond right afterwards. So it feels nice after. I think when I first started doing it, it could be a little jarring to talk to him that way. Now I make it my own. Now it's fun because I, I, we've played it out so many times that I can trust that he's not taking this a certain way or that we know each other well enough to know like when it's gone too far, mm-hmm. which it hasn't. I, I'm curious. So one of the things that I think gets people confused in any sort of dom sub interaction is that the dom dominant person, and in this case, whoever's playing the parent, the parental figure Mm -hmm. would be the dominant person. They're there to fulfill the needs and fantasies of the sub. Mm -hmm. And in the I think in the popular psyche, it looks the other way around that people think that the sub is there to play out the fantasies of the Dom. Sure. But in this case, when you're playing the mother figure, you are there really playing out Connor's needs. You are really fulfilling Uh his psychodrama in that moment and his sexual drama in that moment. Is that a turn on for you? Do you get sexual satisfaction out of that? Or is it primarily for his benefit? I definitely get sexual satisfaction out of that. It's a big turn on for me just because it feels, it feels, uh, you know, generally like not allowed to do these kinds of things. And that's just fun. And it feels like a thing that we do with each other that we don't do with anyone else. So that feels thrilling too. Yeah, no, it's it's very sexually satisfying for me. Mm-hmm. But it is it the the point of it is playing out his sexual fantasy, mm-hmm. giving him what he is seeking. And when he plays out the parental figure for you, um, mm-hmm. do you have the sense that he's getting a lot of sexual pleasure out of that as well? Oh, definitely, yeah. definitely. But the same thing, you know, it's still. He's very much crafting it around where I'm at, how I'm responding, um, what the mood seems to be, and um, what I'm wanting right then. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to imagine if I were to play this out with my partner, he would actually, I think, be willing to do more fantasy play than we do. But we did it a couple of times, and he was so good at it that I had a hard time separating out his actual self from the character he played. And then for a couple days afterward, I was completely wigged out. (laughs) So, um, so this is not something that we've done. And I'm trying to imagine if we were to do something like this, I I think that I could play that nurturing character for him, but I'm not Mm -hmm. sure that I could do it from a sexual place. I think that I could do sexual things to him if that's what he needed. But I don't think that for me it would, yeah, I feel like I would have to separate that for myself because I apparently I'm not great at knowing real life from fantasy. <laughs> Just means you're very caught up in it. That's good. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is there anything more to talk about there or anything else I've forgotten to ask? I think we've, I think he and I have developed good start stop rituals with regards Mm. to it that kind of get me into the mindset and let me leave it right there. Oh, please say more. Yeah. What does that mean? 
there's immediate aftercare and where immediately one or both of us has come and, you know, the experience is like winding down and everything. But like once that's happened, a minute past that, we're not talking to each other in that way anymore. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time we are checking in with each other. You know, how was that for you? Was this too much or was this okay? Did you enjoy this? You seem to like that. And doing so like immediately puts a separation between self and the role you're playing and kind of just signals to the brain, well, we're done. And, and we always like rehashing, you know, what just happened and everything that's exciting, but there's a lot of aftercare, like sweetness and holding. And, um, I feel like it's just a way of getting the brain to say, this is a complete experience and I'm leaving it right here. I love that. Rachel, thank you so much for this. Um, I love you as a person (laughs) and I'm so grateful to have had this chance to talk with you about all of this. Yeah. Likewise. Thank you for having me. This has been fun. I'm glad talking about this stuff. Yes. And I love you too. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) That's it for today. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, or if you're using another podcast app, go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash goodgirls. And remember, there's a treasure trove of audio extras available for free at Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash goodgirlstalkaboutsex. While listening to those extras is free, producing this show is not. If my work is meaningful to you, and you have a few dollars to support it each month, I will gratefully accept your patronage at Patreon. I donate 10% of all Patreon proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are increasingly difficult to obtain. Find out more and become a community member at patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. Show notes and transcripts for this episode are at goodgirlstalk.com. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Good Girls Talk for more sex positive content. If you have a question or comment about anything you've heard on the show, call and leave a message at 720-GOOD-SEX. Good Girls Talk About Sex is produced by me, Leah Carey, and edited by Gretchen Kilby. I have additional administrative support from Lara O'Connor and Maria Franco. Transcripts are produced by Jan Asiello. Before we go, I want to remind you that the things you may have heard about your sexuality aren't true. You are worthy. You are desirable. You are are not broken. As your sex and intimacy coach, I will guide you in embracing the sexuality that is innately yours, no matter what it looks like. To set up your free discovery call, go to leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. Until next time, here's to your better sex life. <laughs>